This is the sound of turning ideas into software. This is the sound of engineering and passion. Work. Work more. Work harder. Experiment. Build. Break. And build again. Write code. Improve it. Job done. Celebrate. Insurance. Finance. Retail. Defense. Robotics. Energy. Amethyx. Welcome back to another episode of Data Science at Home podcast. I'm Francesco, podcasting from the usual office of Amethyx Technologies based in Brussels City, Belgium. Today, I want to speak about prompt engineering. And uh, of course, not in an exhaustive way as always, because this is a field that is growing as we go more and more papers out there, more and more observations by users and practitioners. And uh, to be very honest with you, I found prompt engineering to be kind of the next big BS after <laughs> blockchain, probably. Uh, but I'm kind of understanding now um, what is it about. And of course, um, there is a very interesting guide uh, that I will provide uh, in the show notes of this episode at datascienceatome.com. Now, my uh, most natural conclusion about what's happening in the world of AI is that as long as you will see uh, large language models playing their role in different sectors, of course, there will be uh, kind of an induced uh, family of activities around large language models. And, uh, you know, that's the case of prompt engineering. Uh, when someone told me I have a new job, I am a prompt engineer, I was, <laughs> I was literally laughing in his face. Uh, and probably I would keep doing that <laughs> because I find it weird that just a new role in, um, in the world of AI for people, you know, for works, for workers um, have just been forged or created. Um, so what is this prompt engineering uh, thing? Well, it's a new discipline, as a matter of fact, um, and it can be complicated in a way because it, uh, it seems like something between, uh, uh, you know, playing with language and trying to hack a large language model, whatever it is. Uh, and you will explain what I mean in, in a minute, uh, because it actually uh, allows a user to be, let's say, more direct with its large language model or with large, with large language model they are, you know, dealing with. And it also helps the large language model to understand better the context and therefore provide an answer that is more pertinent to that context. Uh, in terms of text generation, for example, the text most of the time is of higher quality, even though, you know, it's very difficult to assess quality in uh, large language models because the quality of the of a generated answer is usually, you know, something qualitative. Uh, we cannot really, um, you know, numerically assess uh, like we did in the past with the, or still do with the off-the-shelf machine learning models, for example, using accuracy or using uh, uh, mean squared errors and stuff like that, for which there is a, a number that says, hey, these two models, that, that model is better than that because the uh, mean squared error is smaller or because accuracy is, is, big, is higher and, and, you know, and you have a quantitative way of assessing the quality of something. This cannot happen for large language model, or well, it it's much more complex, it's much more difficult. That's why there is a qualitative way of assessing the quality indeed of a large language model. So 
when it comes to um, large language model settings, uh, there are two important quanti quantities that we have to take into account. Um, the first is temperature, and that's something that we are used uh, to deal with, uh, especially with other, uh, large, uh, with other machine learning models in which there is some kind of random component uh, in the model. And so the temperature essentially tells you, uh, look, if the temperature is low, like it's cold out there, <laughs> what do you do? Well, you are more deterministic with the results. It's cold, and so you are kind of frozen. So imagine this model going out in the, in the Belgian winter and stick with what it knows, which is the training data most of the time. And so there is no, there is a lot of determinism in the answer. It's like frozen the seed with random number generation and using that seed over and over again. And you will see that whenever there is a random component, it will behave exactly the same. It's a deterministic model. Uh, when the temperature is increased, what happens is that you kind of loosen that uh, deterministic uh, character of the model. And this, this is usually what people you know, believe is like, oh, the model is becoming more and more creative. Uh, but it's, it's not that the model becomes creative. It's just that you are loosening the uh, deterministic uh, uh, character of, of the model, right? You're you you like releasing the, the seed uh, instead of a smaller range of a bigger and bigger range for which the model can now, you know, start generating things that not necessarily make sense or not necessarily are close enough to the prompt or to the context that you are providing it with. The second quantity is top P. Um, and that's a sampling technique with the temperature called nucleus sampling. Uh, and again, it's another way to control how deterministic the model is when it generates a response. So when you change these two things, essentially what happens is that and this is actually done now automatically by things like ChatGPT or, you know, all the productized, in fact, only that one that I know of, but the productized LLMs out there, uh, they kind of, you know, change the temperature um, during activity um, depending on the prompt they receive. So when you're asking the model to provide an answer in engineering or in science or in healthcare, the temperature is supposedly uh, being set at very low. You want the model to provide the same answer uh, to the same context or to a similar context. Hey, if I have a headache, what should I do? Well, the model should be telling you the same things. Uh, you know, it doesn't have to be quote unquote creative with the answer. <laughs> that would be funny, by the way. Um, but if you are asking the model to generate a poem, which was my main main activity a few months ago, really, I spent a lot of time making poems about anything out there, even about rust. <laughs> and, well, I suppose that the model was being more and more creative, uh, quote unquote creative, of course, which means that the temperature parameter was being set at high. Now, what is prompting? Well, prompting is the activity of providing the model, the large language model, with an input and waiting for an answer that makes sense. Essentially, uh, is the stuff that you type when you go on uh, ChatGPT, well, that's the prompt. Now, you, have my, you might have noticed that some answers are, you know, kind of okay. Some are amazingly correct, some on topic. Um, some others are eh, and some others are completely off, right? Well, most of the times uh, this happens uh, because the prompt is not right. 
And uh, so if you prompt well, um, you're actually helping the large language model to generate an answer that makes more sense for you. So if I, of course, do something like a very simple, the sky is dot dot, right? And I just let the model complete this, this sentence, which is not even a sentence, it's just three words, no context at all. The poor large language model doesn't have anything to grasp <laughs> and start generating things that make sense. So the, the first, the, the thing that the model would do eventually is trying to complete the sentence with something that is, you know, kind of relevant with the sky. So if the sky is clear or the sky is blue, you will definitely not expect something like the sky is a chair. So that would not make sense. So what the model is doing is essentially, you know, generating the next word and the next next word and so on until the end of the sentence with the words that make sense probabilistically or statistically in that context, which is very small, very tiny context. And therefore, the model is free to go anywhere in the, let's say, knowledge space. And now this is a bad prompt because, you know, the sky is dot dot. You're not helping me. What, what do you mean? What do you want? So that's why uh, there is there are much more let's say sophisticated ways of prompting, and I will try to go kind of incrementally. The next one we all know is like providing a question to the model, asking something, um, and another one is providing an instruction to the model that is describing what you want. So, for example, uh, summarize this text or summarize the text below. And then I provide the text. Well, I'm essentially doing something very simple. I'm providing the instruction and then I'm providing the context in which that instruction has to be executed. Uh, another one, this was before, in fact, uh, OpenAI ChatGPT, uh, and even now on uh, locally uh, trained or, or fine-tuned models, you know, the ones that we have under the desks in our garage <laughs> uh, is, you know, the ones that are not censored, if you know what I mean. Uh, those work still, many of them work still with the, the question answer uh, keywords. So you provide a question, like the question tag, tag question, then you write the question and then you provide the answer tag and you expect the model to, you know, continue or to fill in the uh, the answer. A bit like when we have to fill in forms, when we go to the city hall, one of these annoying forms that we always have to fill multiple times in a day. Now, if there are some general uh, best practices when it comes to designing a prompt, um, well, I have one, which is do things simple, right? Uh, don't overcomplicate things, because when you complicate things, uh, you are actually forcing the model to decode what you're asking, and then provide an answer, which is adding one step more, uh, you know, increasing the complexity, the complexity of the you know, of the task of the text generation for nothing. Um, another thing that you can do is uh, splitting your problem into uh, smaller problems, and so providing, uh, and we'll see that more on that later. Uh, you know, breaking it down, breaking down the, the, the prompt or the, the, the question into smaller pieces that the, the model can process, sometimes even uh, independently, and then put them together to create an organic answer. Uh, the other best practice is uh, don't use double neg negatives. Um, for example, when you're asking something, just say what you want. Don't say things like, uh, 
don't do this and don't do that or do not include this do not include that just say what you have what what you want the model to include just ask the model what you want instead of explaining the thing by what you don't want this also works with people i mean if someone goes to you and says i want you to do this task it's much easier than saying i don't want you to do this and that task and goodbye like what would you do next you would ask okay what do you want me to do right so, but that's exactly what the large language model would tell you they just don't tell you because they can't but they would if they could wow anyway you get my point another very important thing is being very specific okay don't be imprecise and this is also something that if you're speaking to an engineer you have to be very precise with what you want if you're asking the model to summarize a text asking the model give me a shorter version of this is like eh, i don't know how much shorter but if you say summarize this or shorten this in uh, three sentences and it's and then you provide the paragraphs or the, the the page or whatever like then you are quantifying you're you're enforcing the mo you're forcing the model to um consider that prompt in a very specific way and so three sentences i mean i said three three sentences will be generated for that summarization and the let's say energy of the model i'm quoting and quoting you don't see that me doing quote unquote all the time but with llm we have to do that all the time because you know understanding quote unquote responding quote unquote thinking quote unquote using energy quote unquote uh in deciphering or decoding how much do you how much short do you want me to to shorten things how how many paragraphs how many words like you don't quantify and so if you quantify it yourself you are kind of helping the model focusing on the actual summarization on the actual task because i don't have to quantify anything else you did it for me you like the user so when it comes to the uh, prompting techniques there are so many out there already uh, even though this is a very new field i don't understand how is it possible that we have so many things out there already and uh, to be very honest with you some are you know very simple some are very obvious uh, some others are just the tiny the micro improvements over something else that came like a week before some others are clever i have to be honest but many of them have some kind of you know similarity in the way they uh, engineer the prompt and uh, so the first one is definitely the easiest of all zero shot prompting that's what all large language models um, are equipped with um, since the large the large language models we know have been trained on a gazillion of of training data sets like on a very large amount of data what happens is that with um, a zero shot prompting most of the time if you're asking something they let's say i've seen before uh, they most of the time work fine um, for example classify this sentence into positive and negative you provide the sentence or the text and you expect a positive or negative sentiment so this is mostly doable in a zero shot fashion in the sense that you ask and you wait for an answer the second thing you know the immediate evolution of that is few shot prompting so for things that require more of an explanation you kind of help the model to you know narrow down the search of possible answers by providing for example examples 
And so you can say, you can start describing what you want, or you can start providing some examples of things that you know they behave in the way you want so that you expose these examples to the model and say, hey, did you see this and that? Now give me an answer that you have never seen before, considering this and that, right? It's like with a baby. Uh, and that's kind of funny because <laughs> it's uh, exactly what happens when you deal with, uh, you know, some people. Now, of course, there might be consequences of this, and we will see later, for example, the problem of bias. You might be biasing the model um, because you are providing the examples that you want the model to learn from, or, you know, you are providing the prompt or the examples that you want the model to consider to provide an answer. Um, and this, of course, this prompt can be biased towards something. So there are some good models that can deal with that. Some others, many of them, if not all of them, <laughs> uh, cannot. So, you know, you have to pay attention to when you do a few shot prompting because you might be biasing the, the answer. Probably one of the uh, really game changers, in my opinion, uh, so far is so-called chain of thought prompting. And chain of thought is a technique that, you know, when I read the paper, it was like, of course, I mean, come on, you write a paper out of this, and yes, they did write a paper out of that. Way at all, 2022, I will report that paper in the show notes of this episode. And essentially, the chain of thought prompting uh, allows you to do something like this. Uh, I will read the example from the paper in case you don't want to read it or you just didn't read it and you never will. Model input. Roger has five tennis balls. He buys two more cans of tennis balls. Each can has three tennis balls. How many tennis balls does he have now? So if you provide an answer like, or you know, in standard prompting, you provide an answer, the answer is 11. Now the model doesn't have a way to kind of learn what happened in that answer. Um, because you know we are humans and we kind of break it down into smaller problems and say, okay, if this is that and that is that, then this is that. Um, so building up the answer, it's, why, it's like when you go to an interview and the interviewer asks you, you know, gives you the problem and it says, speak your mind, like, tell me, even if you don't know the answer, tell me how you think, Let, show me how you think. Um, and, you know, that's very important because, because if you provide the wrong answer, the interviewer doesn't have any element to understand if you're smart or dumb. But if you provide the reasoning behind the answer, Maybe, I say maybe, you just made a tiny mistake at the end. Maybe you were stressed that you didn't see a tiny detail, but the reasoning behind the answer is correct. And so, you know, I will consider you for the next round. Um, now, the chain of thought works exactly like this. So imagine the, the example of Roger and the tennis balls. So imagine an answer of this type. Roger started with five balls, two cans of three tennis balls each, is six tennis balls and then five plus six is 11 the answer is 11 right now in this case what i did is i still provided the same answer which is 11 which is correct but before giving you the answer i kind of instructed the model how did i get to that answer so that next time when i ask something like uh, uh, the cafeteria had 23 apples if they used 20 to make lunch and bought six more how many apples do they have? And this is something that the model would say, the cafeteria had 23 apples originally, 
they used 20 to make lunch, so they had 23 minus 20 equal 3. They bought 6 more apples, so now they have 3 plus 6, which is 9. The answer is 9. Bravo! That's how chain of thought works. Now, if there is, and the next evolution of this is called zero-shot COT prompting, or zero-shot chain of thought prompting. I called it so long. And essentially, it uh, allows the user to use a magic word or a magic phrase or sentence, which is providing the problem or the question, and then adding this magic sentence. Let's think step by step. When you say that, even now on ChatGPT, for example, you will see that the answer is much more elaborate. It's not just the answer like the, the numeric quantity that you want to have as an answer, but it's also the reasoning behind. And reasoning, I'm quoting and quoting, there's no reasoning, there is just a construction of things, in my opinion. But essentially, that number is, let's say, explained how did the model get to that answer. Another evolution of uh, the chain of thoughts is uh, the tree of thoughts. And this is usually considered for um, you know, more complex tasks that usually require exploration or some kind of strategic look ahead. And uh, in these cases, um, simple prompting techniques usually do not work or work, you know, less quality answers. But the tree of thoughts uh, it maintains indeed a tree of thoughts. So it literally has a tree as a data structure behind. Um, and so between the input and the output, that is the question and the answer, there is a tree of uh, uh, you know, potential sequences that serve as intermediate steps towards solving the problem. Now, all of these sentences or sequences, in fact, they can all be considered at the same time. And what the model has to do behind the lines is uh, you know, searching through this tree. And we all know from good old computer science that two major techniques for searching trees are breadth-first search and depth-first search. Search that on Wikipedia, pun intended. And uh, it essentially, you know, goes from input to output, walking this tree, searching this tree in a breadth-first uh, uh, or depth-first search in order to enable uh, so-called systematic exploration of these thoughts with look-ahead and backtracking. So nothing new there. If you speak to a computer scientist, uh, you know, they will tell you, sure, welcome to the 70s. This is the tree. We are used to that. And guess what? We have an amazing amount of libraries in pretty much all programming languages implementing this today. But anyway, this is cool because now you can do it without writing one line of code and just providing a prompt to a large language model. So that's evolution, they say. The next big thing is, again, nothing fancy, nothing amazing, it's not rocket science at all, but the name looks like it's a Retrieval Augmented Generation, or RAG, R-A-G, um, which is essentially, you know, if you read the words, it's like, okay, dude, it's like Retrieval Augmented Generation. Um, it's essentially going out to search for something and generate something else, right? Which is exactly what this method does. It searches into an external knowledge base before providing the answer. It goes out and search, 
and it's, it uses this new information that comes from the search in order to generate uh, you know, text that will be part of the new context. In fact, it's augmented context and keeps augmenting the context in order to generate an answer that is pertinent to the initial context, the one provided by the user. And this is most of the time used when uh, the model doesn't have that information in the weights or doesn't have that information, you know, that information was not actually in the training set. For example, all the new things um, that require new knowledge to flow in the, in the model without retraining. Um, and indeed, this is probably one of the most important consequences of this methodology, which is you don't need to retrain the model, but you can just search, enhance or augment the context and keep doing that until you know the model feels quote unquote satisfied to give an answer and generate the answer for the user. Now, yet another prompting technique that I believe uh, we'll we are going to hear more and more in the near future uh, is multimodal COT prompting, which stands for multimodal chain of thought prompting. And uh, what it is is a combination of uh, you know, the multimodal part is combining different types of data, text and vision in the paper provided by uh, Zhang at, uh, in 2023, um, in which, for example, and I read this example from the paper, uh, you have a question that says, which property do these two objects have in common? And the vision part is the cracker uh, and fries, right? So the options are, select the better answer, soft or salty. Now, we all know that crackers and fries are both salty. If you have soft crackers, they are probably bad. And if you have soft fries in Belgium, nobody will buy. But the output, look at the output. The output is amazing because it's the rationale. Look at each object. For each object, decide if it has that property. Potato chips have a salty, a salty taste. Both objects are salty. A soft object changes shape when you squeeze it. The fries are soft, but the cracker is not. The property that both objects have in common is salty. And so the answer is B. So what happened here is that, you know, th there is the chain of thought component, which is breaking down the problem into smaller problems and providing it as a rationale. And then there is, of course, the multimodal part, which is you know, input, uh, text input and uh, image input or, or vision. Um, and, uh, and this is quite powerful, to be honest with you. I expect that many large language models will move towards this um, direction, which is combining, but that's already happening, of course, uh, combining, um, you know, having more and more multimodality, which is combining more and more diverse data and, you know, trying to assess or generate an answer by looking at the same content from different perspectives, which means from different types of data. Now, of course, there are many more prompt engineering techniques. I am not really sure if uh, the prompt engineer will be actually the uh, new role, uh, the role of the millennium for the job market. I'm, I'm not sure about that, but it is what it is. Uh, prompts need to be engineered and engineered, prompt, engineered prompts actually work better uh, because large language models have to be kind of tricked uh, in a good way. In the next episode, 
I will tell you how large language models can be tricked in a bad way. But before that, let's take a break. Speak with you next time. You've been listening to Data Science at Home Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean to get new fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit our website at datascienceathome.com.